From the Financial Times, this is FT News and I'm Jyotsna Singh in Delhi. The lethal gang rape of a 20-year-old student on a bus in Delhi in 2012 provoked a national outrage, uniting Indians in grief and anger. But another violent rape and murder, this time of an 8-year-old Muslim girl in Jammu and Kashmir, has shocked for different reasons because it is seen as a consequence of the growing animosity between India's Hindu and Muslim communities. Amy Kasman, the FT's South Asia Bureau Chief, joins me now to discuss the issue. Amy, this horrific rape did not get national attention until details of the police report came out. Tell us why. Unfortunately, the rape of children in India is actually very, very common. And typically, these stories are buried in the newspapers, a few paragraphs, because they're so frequent. What made this case different is the fact that the rape and murder of this little girl actually reflects something even bigger that's happening in Indian society, which is the gradual polarization of this country along religious lines. It was only when the police report came out and people read it in full that they really understood that there was something bigger happening here, that this rape and this killing was part of a bigger phenomenon of Muslims being subjected to various forms of violence in a politically motivated manner. What the police report said was that this little girl was from a Muslim community of semi-nomadic herders called buckerwalls, which actually means goat herders. And they migrate seasonally twice a year between winter and summer. In the summer, they take their animals up to the high Himalayas. And in the winter, they come down to lower altitudes in Jammu, which is in a Hindu majority area. They themselves are Muslims. In this area where these bucker wolves tended to graze their crops in the winter, some of the local people didn't like them being there. What the police eventually found is that this little girl had been taken because she was a bucker wall. They kidnapped her. They held her in a small temple. They drugged her. They gang raped her for several days. She was heavily sedated. And then they finally killed her. The aftermath of the incident has been almost as disturbing as the incident itself. The police report found that this girl was assaulted and killed as part of a deliberate plot to terrorize the Bakarwals and drive them away in a region where Hindus are increasingly hostile towards Muslims with whom they'd otherwise lived side by side for generations. As the police investigation got going and people started to be arrested, Hindu community leaders, Hindu political leaders, leaders associated with Prime Minister Modi's BJP party started to mobilize protests against the police and against the police investigation. They founded a new group called the Hindu Unity Forum. And in February, the Hindu Unity Forum held a large march where thousands of people marched against the arrests of the accused suspects accused of killing this girl. They said that the police were biased because there were Muslims as part of the police team. And local leaders from the BJP also were part of this Hindu Unity Forum. They also condemned the arrests of the suspects. And finally, 
When the police, after months of investigation, detailed forensic analysis, samples had been sent to like the highest end laboratories in Delhi to crack the case, Hindu lawyers from the Jammu Bar Association actually mobbed the police team when they came to the courthouse to file the case in court. It was very disturbing to many people. It was the first time really in India that you've seen mass support in favor of people accused of such a heinous crime on such a young child. But this isn't an isolated case. Another rape in another state is also making headlines for similar reasons. Tell us about that. The aftermath of this crime in the investigation has coincided with the national spotlight falling on another case. It's different, but it also speaks of a breakdown of the law enforcement machinery and of political impunity. Basically, in the state of Uttar Pradesh, which is now also under a state government led by Mr. Modi's BJP, a 17-year-old girl says that she was raped last year by a member of the State Legislative Assembly who is a member of the ruling BJP. And she and her family say that the police have steadily refused to file a complaint against him. They've steadily refused to investigate it. And instead, this girl and her family have been mercilessly harassed by the law enforcement machinery, by the state legislator. Earlier this month, this girl tried to immolate herself in front of the chief minister's house in Uttar Pradesh to draw attention to her plight and try to force some action in the case. What action did the government take? They arrested her father, and her father was beaten up and died in custody shortly afterwards. And it was only on the death of this girl's father that national attention also came onto this case and questions raised about the whole process. And now it's gone into the hands of the Central Bureau of Investigation. The legislator has been arrested. His brother has also been arrested, but it's obviously put another question mark over how accused rapists, if they have the right political connections or if they are indeed politicians themselves, are being protected by forces in power. Many people have questioned the long silence of Prime Minister Modi over the incidents. It's odd, given that women's safety was one of his key election promises when he was running for Prime Minister in 2014, isn't it? Prime Minister Modi in 2014 made women's safety one of his big campaign issues. It wasn't his only campaign issue, of course. He campaigned on promises of faster economic growth and restoring India's pride and restoring India's status in the world. But women's safety was a definite element. And there was, in fact, a specific campaign ad targeting women and other voters angry about the lack of women's safety. And this was all essentially capitalizing on the fresh and very raw memories of the 2012 rape in Delhi, which was a city then under the Congress government. So it was a strong campaign message that the BJP and Mr. Modi could use to attack the incumbent government. 
The ad itself was very powerful. It was a black and white ad. It was a close-up of a woman's face, and she talks about how she'd educated her daughter to make her daughter independent and ensure that her daughter could stand on her own two feet, but that in fact now her daughter is a working woman and she lives in fear every day until her daughter comes home safely from work. So it was a very powerful ad that really played on people's sense that women's safety was becoming a major issue. So Modi did campaign on women's safety. And in fact, in power, he has also talked about women's safety. He has talked about women's issues and equality for women. He's taken a strong stand against the practice of female feticide, whereby families use ultrasounds to find out if they're having girls or boys, and they basically abort the girl children. And that is reflected in India's very imbalanced sex ratio. He's also spoken publicly about the need for women to play a greater role in economic development. He's taken cognizance clearly of the fact that India has one of the lowest ratios of women participation in the labor force. And that's actually thought to be one of the issues holding back India's economic performance. But when it comes to these horrific crimes, he's been slow. And the fact is, He did not say anything about this horrific murder of this eight-year-old girl until the outrage was so much that he just couldn't ignore it anymore. And then he basically made a very bland statement promising justice for India's daughters. But really, without even going into the details, he couldn't even bring himself to say, you know, these rapes. He just talked about these incidents, which people are talking about. You've written a column suggesting that in a climate of growing communal and social tension, India's women will have to pay a heavy price. Why do you say that? Over the next year, India is going to enter an intensely political phase. India's national elections are just one year away, and prior to that, there's a series of very important state legislative assembly elections that will lay the groundwork for the national election. These are going to be very, very hard-fought contests. Modi in 2014 had campaigned on an agenda of bringing hope and development, bringing modernization and progress, bringing jobs and opportunity. Yet there's a feeling among many that he hasn't really delivered on this. And what many now fear is that as election battles are fought, people from the BJP, which very much has an underlying agenda of asserting the supremacy of India's Hindu majority in this country will deliberately stir and stoke communal tensions as part of their effort to consolidate Hindu voters behind them and ensure electoral victory because they doubt whether Modi's economic track record is strong enough to really be a winning ticket and deliver the kind of mandate that he received in 2014. And we're already seeing signs of it. In the state of Karnataka, which has a state election next month, one of the BJP state legislators actually told his supporters in a rally that this upcoming state election isn't about roads or water, it's about Hindus and Muslims. And in this effort to polarize voters, to stoke up communal resentment, to stoke up hatred, to brand India's Muslim minority as the other or guests that are in this country on sufferance, there is a huge risk that as tensions boil, a lot of violence could be directed at women 
And I think many people feel that we saw the beginning of this in this appalling case against an eight-year-old girl. Thanks, Amy. And you can find a link to Amy Kasman's column on our podcast notes. Thanks for listening. This is Jyotsna Singh in Delhi saying goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.